are listening to the Derek Sante Podcast, the show that brings you insightful conversations about everyday topics. We just aim to keep the discussion above the average. Our guests are the ones bringing the social proof to the conversation. Let's get into it. I'm your host, Derek Sante, and this evening I have with me a very, very, very uh, significant person in my personal life, um, but someone whom... I think you guys got a chance to listen to uh, not too long ago on several episodes of the show. But tonight I have him returning to shed some light on a specific um, topic. And I think you'll get the sense of it once we get the conversation going. Please help me welcome John P. Smith. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Now, let's go right into it because I've known you for quite some time and mm-hmm. you've done, I mean, you've done a lot of, a lot of work in numerous communities. And uh, for me, obviously, home was uh, Lawrence Heights and that's where you and I originally met. So I want to kind of go back from there because that's the starting point that I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your role in that community center then? And we'll start from there and then see if we can build up to where you are currently. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds good. Sounds awesome. Good. So, so first of all, how did you end up there? So, you know, I, I was working, uh, in recreation, uh, for, um, let's say about four years part-time. Um, uh, in a, in, in a community down the street, um, at, uh, Lawrence and Keel, Amesbury area. And, um, you know, and, and I'm here in a privileged position because of that. And because of, um, a little bit of stubbornness as well. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, not knowing that there's the ceiling, um, but also, uh, exploring, being open to explore a number of different avenues. So I got into recreation uh, uh, from a, I tell the story to a lot of people, uh, a high school coach um, gave my name to a recreation coordinator at the time, was looking for, uh, and this was more than three decades ago now, um, a, a young male of color uh, with leadership abilities. And um, what's interesting is sometimes we don't see ourselves uh, in certain positions until other people see uh, see us uh, in those areas. So I took the opportunity, uh, worked uh, in a number of different roles, part-time, after school, you know, summertime, weekends, special events, all types of things, youth. Uh, community events, uh, summer camps, I said, and instructing, learning how to instruct uh, and uh, learning what I thought was leadership. <laughs> and I'll explain later on. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and learning what I thought was facilitation. And so um, after three or four years part-time, and when I say part-time back then, Part-time was maybe 24 hours to uh, a week 
fall, winter, spring, and then summertime, uh, 40 hours. Uh, so it, 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 <laughs> it paid for my university because, uh, the, uh, I, I got OSAP the first year and then the second year they told me I made too much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then there was this opportunity in Lawrence Heights and I'm 21 years old and, um, yeah, this opportunity comes and I'm like, okay, I'll take it. And then my world changed from there. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to back up a little bit because you said quite a bit. First, I want to ask you about when you said, you said it twice that you were privileged um, to be in, in the position that you first got. And then I guess you got into a leader, a more leadership or with more responsibilities and you were privileged again. What do you mean when you're saying that you're privileged? Well, I, I think that um, I, I look back on um, a number of people that I knew at the time that were maybe more skilled, had better leadership skills, more awareness of themselves. Um, but because of their situation, uh, they didn't accept the opportunity. Got it. And or because of their situations, they didn't see it as a, an opportunity of growth. I can't say that at that time at like 17, 18 years old that I'm like, oh yes, I've got it all mapped out. No, right. I didn't. I, I didn't know squat. Right. I think back, <laughs> like, how did you get here? But then, um, uh, you know, it, it's funny because I think we all need to walk through a pathway where we actually, wherever we are, we need to sort of reflect and say, and 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 really ask ourselves internal questions about how did we get to where we are and what is it that actually motivated us to make the decision. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if you remember um, in, in high school, they had those, um, we had this computer test career survey or whatever. Yeah. And so I took that and well, I wanted a position that had, university degree because my mother always told me get a degree and then do whatever you want right mm -hmm. um which is different than uh, a degree is your you know key to life right, right. because I, I i actually think a degree a diploma all of those things that you put in your path of education great but they should help you make better sense of your life and your journey rather than be the, um, the, the goal, right? right? They are the, they are the tokens along your journey mm -hmm. that you collect rather than I've got this degree. So I should be able to do X, Y, and Z. You should do it, be able to do X, Y, and Z because you know, the whole X, Y, and Z, right? right. Not because you have a degree. Right. Um, <laughs> I wanted a, a position with a degree. I didn't want to have to wake up early in the morning. <laughs> didn't want to have to, uh, you know, wear a suit. That was important. I just wanted to be comfortable. Right. Some people are comfortable in suits. I can wear a nice suit when I want to, you know, but I want to do it every day. Right. Um, as well, it's just working with people. And I got three job areas. Um, one was head chef, uh, one was international development, and one was recreation and leisure. Oh. And 
I completely forgot about that. I must have did it when I was 16. Completely forgot about it. Wow. Until 10 years later, finding it and saying, ooh, oh, interesting. <laughs> that works. <Right>. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I think it, it really is about um, uh, wherever you are, whether teenager, whether young adult, whether you know, middle age, self-examination and looking at many different types of tools to examine what you want, where you want to be, and then charting out a plan for yourself. Um, And I see myself as privileged because those pitfalls that are there and without going any further, you know, I identify as African Canadian Mm -hmm. uh, and I identify as uh, from the Caribbean. So whether you, you know, we have multiple identities, uh, if you want to say, you know, uh, uh, black Canadian or right. African Caribbean, you know, I, I, this part of my identity, mm-hmm. I recognize that we have multiple challenges, uh, from this society that are structural. Um, you know, it's, it's funny cause, uh, uh, well, it's not funny, but I think about, the whole concept of social construction because um, race is not scientific in terms of looking into a, um, you know, uh, whether it's a genome uh, chart or whatever, right. uh, race is socially constructed. Mm-hmm. But then um, the impact impacts your quality of life. Right. So that concept and what, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things that are socially constructed. Like money is socially constructed, right? You know, a note is something that you borrow, and it was written down, and then it became, uh, it was on paper, so it was cash, you know, and now it's electronic. Right. But you're still, it's socially constructed. The marketplace is socially constructed. All of these things have an impact, and I think that, you know, kind of owe it to ourselves to, to not only stop at the definition but to always think about the impact of racialization, the impact um, of, you know, everything from, you know, fear of others, right? right? Xenophobia, homophobia, fear of women uh, being, you know, strong and and equal and in leadership positions. Mm. Because in my experience, like those things um, that are, that are socially constructed and reinforced in society yep. impact what everybody does. And in the sector that I work in now in community development, I mean, I have to say that, you know, when I look around, I'm also very privileged to have, uh, uh, to be working with women of color, with specifically black women in leadership position. Mm-hmm. And that really changes um, my connection to my work and connection to the opportunities that I see in the future. Whereas you may not have that in other sectors, right? right? Right. Uh, I'm learning more and more and I'm seeing more and more uh, across many sectors in terms of, you know, uh, people of color, women of color. It's important for us. And I think as men to understand that we're not in, we're not in competition with women. We're not in competition with other men. Right. Right. So I look at it and say, if you really want to compete, compete with yourself, right? And push yourself 
not from looking at what other people are achieving. Well, Learn from them. That's the ultimate challenge, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and, and it is also something that isn't really reinforced in popular culture, right? So, okay. So you, you mentioned something um, when we started about, you know, being in meetings with managers and so forth and how you kind of navigated those spaces. I'm trying to figure out how did they receive you in those early stages when you were literally, you just started with the city um, and you're working your way through, through the system and being a part of these management meetings. How were you received when you went into these meetings? You know, you're young, you're a male, you're black. Was there any, any red tape, any, you know, um, situations or, or did it, feel uncomfortable for you or was it too challenging? Was it, what were some of the obstacles that you, you kind of experienced during those times? I think there's always obstacles. I think the, um, we, uh, you know, the, 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 what is the stat that comes out in terms of, uh, discrimination, uh, whether you call it implicit bias, uh, whether you call it racism, you know, all forms of oppression that exist is specifically anti-black racism, mm-hmm. right? That, that you know, uh, the language of uh, social science uh, changes and develops because guess what? Um, as we research more and as we have more discourse, more conversation, more research, and we discover, uh, you know, more writers, you know, especially uh, writers that are centered on, you know, uh, the experience of black people not from us being objects, right. but from us actually writing our own narratives, then you get to, you know, anti-black racism and you get to that experience of being the only one in the room. Also, but I also recognize all those things that you experience as, you know, a, a black male in every setting in terms of, um, you know, the funny vibe, right? right? Um, or being you know, uh, <laughs> misidentified in your position to a, a lower level position because uh, to a number of people uh, through my earlier experience, I would have been a part-time staff or a youth worker, right? Because all the Black people they knew and had constructed in their minds were youth workers or part-time staff. Wow. Okay. And And I think you have to prepare for an environment that um, can psychologically be hostile Mm. by being centered. But you can also, the other part is, and I think this is also really important, that you have to know when you are... um, So how did, I mean, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. How is that different from today? What you experienced back then... Have you seen a drastic shift and change in how um, black males uh, are, are, or people of color ha- are, you know, treated as far as the roles within within the city? Has that changed? Have, have we evolved? Have we gotten better as a society, or is it pretty much stagnant? I, you know, you can't look at the last two years or a year and a half and say. Um, what, and the question whether anything's changed at all. No, right? No, I don't want to do that. I'm talking. Yeah, okay. Let's say, let's say ten between. Um, let's look, go as far back as maybe '92 up until um, 
I don't know, 20, 2015 or something like that. Oh, I, I and and so I think a whole bunch has changed. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of change to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I was in a meeting just a, a few days ago where, um, and I have to say this: uh, a lot of the community leaders that I've encountered, um, and the majority of them are women of color. Majority of them are women, and they are grounded in the real. And they will, you know, you know, uh, how should I say, let me, let me, let me uh, form the character for you in terms of an archetype. So in a community, you have your aunties, right? Mm-hmm. And your aunties, whether they're a teacher, whether they're, you know, somebody who is working from home, and so even though you may not be compensated, you're still working from home. Um, and, and when they see something wrong, they will step to you. Right. Because your position, your 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 name, doesn't matter to them. You're an individual, right? Got it. And they will demand respect from you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in a meeting, and I recognize right. that it's not a meeting about you know how well things are going. It's a meeting about how things need to change. There have been changes in terms of management level, senior management level, in 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 different uh, divisions across the city. Uh, which has been great, uh, been fantastic, but there's a lot more. There's a lot more way to go, right? Right. Um, we have a Indigenous Affairs Office, which is like a great step forward in recognizing not only the, you know, tenets of uh, reconciliation, but also recognizing that there needs to be stronger partnerships with this, with uh, Indigenous communities. When, right. Sorry. When was that established? I believe in the last in the last four years, I just was looking at a report. Wow! Um, so there's there's you know and and the other really key part for um, the general public to recognize is like the 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 policies, the written word reports are really important. The understanding how decisions are made. Civic decisions are really important. And I don't know if you've heard this, but I'll repeat it. Like at the municipal level in every city, every municipality, you are the closest to decision makers. You can actually call them up, um, you know, uh, get a get a uh, meeting set up, have them come out to your community. And lots of people that understand that, that have agency, are socialized to that power understand that others are developing that awareness and um and and more and more people need to be aware of that um i'm not a proponent of like only coming out and and i just heard we may have a federal election yes. but only talking about you know you know uh civic participation um during election and that's it Mm-hmm. That's like once every four years or so or whatever, right? right? Right. Civic participation is actually knowing how each of these mechanisms work, whether it's your local municipal, whether it's your uh, provincial or whether it's federal. And the local is the one that you're connected to um, the easiest and the one that has, I think, has a huge impact uh, over your quality of life. Right, right. Right. Yeah. And, and, 
I also think that a lot of people uh, haven't been in a community meeting where, from what's being said, um, there's a lack of understanding of how decisions are made, right? Mm-hmm. Policies are written. And we need to do so much more. And I'm uh, happy to be a part of a number of different initiatives to look at that because those are like pillars of democracy, right? right. And while, you know, uh, I don't want to get theoretic and, and critique about whether we have a democracy or not, but we have a system. Right. And, <laughs> and if you want to change it, you got you to gotta inform yourself on how it, how it actually functions. Right. Um, because the change comes from internal and external. And, and that's a huge piece that I think we could do, we could do a lot better. Um, you said uh, in the last ch- 10 years, have there been changes I've seen and met and been like very privileged to meet, you know, um, people of African descent that are in positions of leadership, not only in at municipal government, but across organizations, right? Nonprofit organizations, uh, across uh, charitable organizations, foundations, and there's always more work to be done. Yes, there is. Right. But we have, um, and, and we also have a generation of, I can't like not say that we have a generation of young people who are educating themselves, not only because they have post-secondary degrees and masters and all of that stuff, but because they have a sense of awareness about, you know, systems right. and about society that um, I know there were before. Uh, I have, you know, but uh, I think there's. I think it's uh, more prominent more now. Yeah, a lot yeah. more, yeah. and 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 I that's really promising. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm um, I'm system skeptical and people optimistic. Yeah. No, it's, that's that's pretty cool though. It is important to to be more optimistic about about people than it is about systems. I think because um, people are the ones that are going to impact the systems, right? So. I have, and I and I have to say, um, you know, I mean, Toronto has uh, for a while had the only confronting anti-black racism unit in I believe North America, if not the world, mm-hmm. right? It happened at the municipal level. Right. And while, you know, many people be skeptical and say, okay, well, that, what does that mean? Well, first you have to change the word. You have to change your policies and you have to change the structures. Right. It's not going to come with a bulldozer. No. Right. Um, it's going to come with step-by-step, step, uh, like dismantling and reshaping, you know, uh, systems of oppression. And while you need exterior groups that are not government, you also need to have systems change internally. Right. And you do that by actually putting in, putting policies together that move that forward. Is it going to be perfect? And is it going to be like Oprah? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's not, you know, because Oprah is fantasy. Right, right, right. I mean, Oprah is entertainment, but and Oprah is a billionaire. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I saw a really good dismantling of like the billionaire myth, like whether we need billionaires. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for another discussion. But I think you need more um, policies that focus on equity, 
that focus on not only opening the doors and 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 I really think socially historically when doors are open we have to understand the door is open we can't look at the door and say well it's too small right right you know, yeah. um we have to look at it and say how can we get as much through that door as possible because we do not know what you know uh uh international uh, to regional, to local circumstances will close that door. Right. And for it to be reopened again. If you're, you know, a student of history, you know that opportunities have come and then there have been pushbacks, right? You're seeing in the States right now the pushback on uh, critical race theory, right? right? Um, but if you went to the Third World Bookstore uh, <laughs> back in the, the 80s, right? Um, that was critical race theory for you to open up a book and read about structurally uh, structural and historical analysis of uh, racism on an international level, on a global level, on a local level, and to you know go to U of T or York University or whenever they had those lectures, and then a counter lecture because ideas aren't about just one person speaking; they're about counter ideas, they're about synthesis of ideas. And you expand your world that way before it was just available through certain bookstores. Right. Now they have bookstores, you know, there are bookstores in Brampton. There's a different book list, you know, um, it's, you can order online. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I think that that, you know, the, what I see in the States in terms of the really uh, um, backlash that's happening, that the use of ignorance to push you know, um, the discrediting of, you know, research is, is ominous because it's happened through society. We weaponize these ignorance in order to dismantle real change. Yeah. And so we have to be cautious of that being a pushback at the same time, balancing, moving forward and saying, how can we get more opportunities? How can we shift and change? In the city, it's like a large barge, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not going to turn on a dime. A barge takes six six miles to turn, right? right? A barge could be a mile and a half long. Um, doesn't mean that change isn't happening. It's just you need to have um, strategic, you know, pushes as to where that change should uh, happen and uh, to, to, to ensure that it continues over long term. And there's always a lot of work to do. Uh, and and I, I, I work in a field, community development. So I'll put it out there. I in wanna, which that's all part of, you have to have change for it to. to, I wanna, to so you're to talking about change. And earlier you mentioned, obviously there's, there's, uh, there's an increase in women in leadership in your sector, right? And Women and men of color, actually. Women and men of African descent. Right. Because, right. you know, so, last time I checked, I identified <laughs> as male, too. And I'm not the only one. So, There's a number of us. There in, you go. In, so, and not just in community development as well. In other divisions. Okay. So, um, so I have to say that, too. So now, but in your... I'm, I want to focus on your um, area, right? Which is the community development area, specifically. So there's more people of color, both men and women, 
Mm-hmm. Now, I want to talk about the women. Is that you think that's been a strategic um, direction with the city, or is just because you know they're way more qualified for their roles, and therefore you didn't have a choice but to go that route? The reason why I ask that is because I know that 20 years ago there were still people of you know of color that were qualified, but probably didn't get the opportunity. Um, the same way as maybe the opportunities are presented today. So I'm not sure. And and I'm asking because we also mentioned that there's also more, you know, people of color obtaining degrees. And is the value of the degree the same today as it was 20 years ago? Well, I, I would never equate a degree with a, a position. Mm-hmm. I think a degree is, as I said, it's, it's one of the, whether it's a diploma, a degree, a certificate, or a combination of a lot of those things, mm-hmm. um, those are things that you should, whatever field you're in, like, you know, uh, you get certified. Right. You continue to work. You become a practitioner. And if you are following a, a developmental path, professional development path, that, and you look as, okay, how can I improve on? You always have to improve on versus the, the approach that says, oh, I want to get that desk job. Well, those jobs, like, you know, there, there are very few positions that you're going to get in, in this economy, in the society right now in which you're going to, spend 30 years in that position, then retire in that position, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to be agile and be able to know what's coming, right. but also prepare for change. You know, uh, from my experience, talking about, you know, my journey, mm-hmm. um, I'm more exposed to now, especially the last 15 years in uh, women of color in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is not because there was some quota, okay. but it was because there was intentional focus on ensuring that um, representation, black folk who were underrepresented in certain areas were, uh, and, 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 and that underrepresentation meant that the quality of the work suffered. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the work in community development, and I think organizations are recognizing this, if you continue to uh, disenfranchise those with leadership abilities, whether they're at the you know entry level, management level, then your organization is going to suffer from it. Right. Right. It, it's not going to be agile enough. It's not going to have the type of leadership that's necessary and recognizing that, yes, um, you know, there, there were uh, opportunities to actually, uh, there are opportunities that were created and developed that were very strategic uh, in, in, in terms of ensuring that you had better representation. Okay. But in that representation, you also uh, have high quality of people with lots of skills. Right. Um, and, and whereas before it would be, you know, you're looking to the same uh, homogeneous group, right? Um, that is a reflection of who's socially, politically, and economically in power in, in this society, right? right? And that's not the best way to do things. 
No. Uh, when I look across uh, resumes that come in and there may be a list of like 50 to like 300 resumes, mm-hmm. about half of the 300 are qualified. Right. Right. Um, and then you have to look specifically, very specific at, you know, their, their, their specific skill set to match up with the position. Got it. Uh, and then you have to, um, and this is really important. Here comes, here comes a big important piece. If you don't know to write in this economy and you're looking for a management position and you can't put a briefing note or a report together, right? Um, you're stuck. Right. You're not going any further because most most hiring processes now are going to involve some type of reporting. And hey, if you are at that point where you're getting, you know, a group of people to help you on what you're putting forward in your assignment, go and do it. Do what you need to do. Right. But know that that you're going to have to understand what you're putting forward. Right. Because then you're going to be in front of that hiring manager. And if you can own that position in the interview and think as if you're actually in that position, it's much different than if you're saying, oh, I'd really like to be a community development officer. Right. Or I'd really like to be a project manager. Right. Well, then if you really like to be one, someday you will, but it's not going to happen in that interview. <laughs> right. But if you're thinking from the perspective of... Then you speak from there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, there's, there's, it's almost like, you know, it's not fake it till you make it. It's like, you actually have to think through that language and that approach in order for you to impress on whoever's in front of you that you can grasp it. Because, um, uh, I, I, I was asked and I sometimes am asked and I try not to chuckle, Mm -hmm. but sometimes I am asked in the positions that we have, is there like training? I'm like, can, when I get the job, will I be trained? And, and, and I, I've said, I've been as, as uh, honest and straightforward as possible in orientations. Like um, our positions are like uh, basically jumping out of a plane with or without a parachute. Yeah, you got to make it. You got to make it what it is and you have to make it right for the people that you're serving. I mean, exactly. You can't. And it's a good point that you mentioned because regardless of the privilege and the power of the position, you are serving the public. Right. And that is a, and this is so much different than providing a for-profit service. In my mind, my perspective, mm-hmm. it's like when you're working for Rogers, Okay, it's a customer, right? Yeah. Yeah. But when you're working for the public, you're working for everybody. That's it. Right? Even if you're focused on a specific community, right, if, if, and, and a specific neighborhood, you're still working for everybody. Yeah. And you have to be able to balance. And this, this is, this is a, a, a real important piece. You got to be able to balance your own personal value system with the uh, uh, the value and principles of your organization yep. with also the values and principles of the community. That's right. And if you can't balance that, 
that's going to be really tough psychologically for you to do um, this type of work. Well, then you shouldn't be doing the work. Well, you know, I mean, you got to be able to take criticism. Right. You got to be able to sort of be self-reflective. And you have to incorporate that in your own internal change and the way you approach things. Project management skills, facilitation skills. And it's not just like, okay, I went to a three-hour seminar. You actually understand approaches, right? And I, I love to break it down in a sports analogy because, you know, many people watch different types of sports. But do you watch the sports because... When you're watching um, basketball, you watch it because somebody's just dunking the ball, or do you see, especially in a college basketball game or something like that? Okay, they're putting on a full court press. All right, now they're they're doing a box and one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, and and you're understanding the game from the perspective of the strategies right. that are happening. Yeah. If you understand project management and facilitation and conflict resolution from strategies that you can employ, then you get it. Right. But if you say, I'm a great facilitator because, you know, I just get up there and I lead the group all the way through the process. And then, you know, I get them to, to, to sign off on things. Right. That's not facilitation. No. You know, if you don't understand a number of different approaches. So you really do have to examine yourself as a professional, regardless of what field you're in, but especially when you're dealing with the public, when you are serving the public, and when you serve at the pleasure of counsel, to understand all of those dynamics. Because it's a political environment, it's a social environment, it's an economic environment, and, and all of that has an impact in terms of, you know, the outcomes that happen as a result of your work. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to go back to my original question. Do you think degrees or diplomas or certificates? I know you 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 explained it and the value in them and how it pertains to the work field. But I'm just curious. I want to hear your opinion on this. Do you think they are valued the same today as they were back in let's say '93? Uh no, they're not. Elaborate on that. Um, and yeah, and I think it's because uh, from from what I've read and. And, and, and the conversations that I've seen happen overall in society, degrees are, you know, a, a degree in 93 or even, yeah, in 93, I think would be equal to right now a high school diploma or something like that, right? Um, and the reason is, is because we've, we have a society that has said every position, you know, requires this degree. And so... You know, and while it's good to have positions that require some type of degree, you'll see when positions are posted in large organizations, if they are equity focused, um, they will say degree or work experience equivalent. Right. Right. And, And unless it's a very specific industry standard that you need to have. Right. Because the last thing I heard to be an architect. You know, <laughs> it's not just like, hey, I worked on like 17 buildings in the last two years. You have a degree in architecture. No, 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 no but no. you know, I know how to draw real well. I know a few guys who are drafting, <laughs> you know. So there are there are areas in which you do need. And, and I think it's good to have a level of education, but I also mm-hmm. think it's good to have 
you know, a to show uh, for those of you who are counseling and supporting, you know, young folks, young adults, next generation of leaders or current generation of leaders because they're leading themselves and other young folks. Please do not tell anybody if you see on their resume that they've got their grade on their resume or CV, tell them to wipe that stuff off, edit that stuff out, because it's not about what you got in terms of grades. It's what, how you write your CV, cover letter, yeah. all of that stuff to the position that you're going for to really underline your skills and how you match up. And you can't do that by just mimicking what's in the qualification. Right. You can't just write, I was. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to give more than that. <laughs> because if you look in the positions that you list, then you say, where is that? And you may have been a volunteer coordinator, mm-hmm. but that counts. Volunt- and you're like, are you working? Yeah. Are you getting paid for it? No, but you're, you're on a two-year you know, study or whatever in, in which you coordinated, you know, uh, a research team. That's fantastic. Right. Right. But you have to look at those pieces. Everything change changes and increases in terms of intensity. I will say honestly to you, when I look back in 2006, when I got into this position or into this division from recreation into my current division, and uh, and based on the qualifications there and experiences, if I were the same person then right now, I have a very limited chance at getting into our, you know, entry level management position. Right. So, and I, you know, because things have changed. A lot has changed. And it should change because it should develop the needs and the understanding of needs and participation of you know, residents, especially those that are historically marginalized across the board, newcomer population, you know, big shifts on international levels affect um, residents and, and, and community members in this city. This city is an international city, you know, over 200 different language groups. Right. Right. So we have to change and we have to evolve. We got to develop. Change, change, I definitely agree with you. Change is eminent. Um, it's constantly happening. Whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. Um, folks, if you're just tuning in, we're having a conversation with John Smith regarding community development and other things that come up across the conversation. But um, question for you, John. I'm curious. So you get into recreation. I, I want to kind of give a timeline for people that are just tuning in or um, you get into recreation and then you you know, you move up in management as far as being responsible for, let's say, a community center, right? Uh, and then from there, I believe, is where you made the transition to um, the office location where you're like in City Hall. Is that is that correct? Well, actually, uh, just to, to, to be uh, correct and, and, and uh, to clarify in terms of the timing, mm-hmm. my first position in the city was in 88 part time. My first full-time position in the city was in 91. Okay. Right? Um, That position, and being a recreation coordinator is not a management, it's management skills, but it's a unionized position. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2003, um, I had an opportunity to sort of do a 
2002 to 2003, had an opportunity to do some project coordination. Okay. And in 2006, I actually got into a, uh, which would be a base level management position okay. in our, in, 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 in social development finance administration as a community development officer. So between 1988 and 2006, even though I may have been supervising individuals, may have been managing spaces, uh, it was a unionized position. So I look at that and say, all of those skills are still there, right? Right. You can develop skills and ability, and, and from again, I look back at the things that uh, I was privileged to be a part of in Lawrence Heights in terms of, um, you know, fashion show events, uh, a, a basketball tournament is actually a complex series of events, right? Yeah, yeah all together, it's like yeah. a conference, yeah. right? Uh, especially when people lose. Yeah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. but when you have none, you know, um, and, and, you know, a, um, summer camp programming, yeah. you know, and, and the learning to organize and structure and write, and also being in an environment where you had to be, um, how should you say, you had to develop partnerships with everybody, right? You had to develop partnerships with, you know, the <laughs> mandem who were coming in at four o'clock. Yep. Um, even though the program ends, the children's program ends at five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And sometimes fall, winter, spring ends at six. Yeah. You have to develop those partnerships. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I think a lot of my early experience in recreation was basically trial by fire. Mm-hmm. And I was I went, earlier, I said, you know, you need a, a level of stubbornness because if I were to look back and then say, why would you stand out there outside of that center and those seven guys, you know, handing right. you your head, you know, <laughs> verbally yeah. and take all of that and then come back the next day. Right. right. What kind of foolishness is that? Get into <laughs> another, you know, but the higher value is. Is that you? You know, uh, look at the environment in uh, in 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 that setting, and you say, "What were they speaking to? They were speaking to the historic, systemic disenfranchisement of all of the community members, in which at that time uh, a majority that was at that community center." were of African descent, yep. right? Whether from the Caribbean, whether you're from, you know, uh, Nigeria, Uganda, or whatever. Yep. And they were speaking to that to me because they needed me to understand the environment that existed. Right. And why it was, in to a large degree, completely effed up. Yeah. Right? And... And then fortunately, I had the staying power to begin to understand that and help to be a part of some change that I say to this day, um, help me to understand that when somebody's yelling at you, they're not yelling at you. Don't personalize, mm -hmm. right? They're yelling at the conditions that they're in and the fact that there hasn't been enough change 
for them to come into a, 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 a discussion um, because they have been traumatized by right. that. Right. And they're telling you of that trauma. And for you to sort of say, oh, another angry <laughs> resident. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, <laughs> and then just walk away from that. Um, you're not understanding that for people who have been disenfranchised historically, marginalized, haven't been given opportunity or the opportunities have been pulled from them by the groups and the individuals, because I came to learn that everybody that was, you know, uh, how should you say antagonistic had actually also worked for the city in, in yeah. that environment. Yeah. Yeah. So they had experience of being, you know, isolated and ostracized and structurally the facility, like I walked into the gym, half the lights were dim. <laughs> because they hadn't replaced the gym life. So, so speaking of structure, I'm, I want to get your take on this. How do you um, think the structure of the community itself, not just the center, but the community itself, impacted people? Oh yeah, it's it's a reflection of uh, any facility that within a community right. that uh, harbors both harbors both uh, a space to be a shelter, mm-hmm. a space to be you know, uh, uh, an oasis, right? Right. And also uh, the other side of that, which is for people to be, uh, in, in the ne- most negative sense, institutionalized, mm-hmm. limited uh, in terms of their environment, placated, you know, uh, and, and just kept in holding, right? Yeah. So we have the opportunity in every space, regardless of, you know, uh, what type of space, how big is it, it is, for it to uh, function across a spectrum, like I said, of whether it's, you know, a, a space where it's very limiting mm-hmm. to a space where it can actually be, you know, a, a space in which cre- creative thinking, leadership, you know, all of that can happen. And sometimes it happens at the same time. You said something very important that I'm, I want to kind of expand on a little bit. Over the years, you've worked in so many different communities or, or been a part of so many different communities. What are some of the patterns you think, especially in the housing communities, um, that people displayed why they weren't able to make significant changes that, that allowed them to kind of move on from those neighborhoods or those environments? Like, What were some of the things that you witnessed that you feel like impacted them and, and cause them to kind of stay there for generations and pass the same house over to their kids and their grandkids? Well, I, I've seen both. I've seen, you know, because uh, uh, poverty can be generational, right? Right. And also uh, lots of people can move. And, and Lawrence Heights is a great example of, um, you know, <laughs> where you live now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, oh, um, individuals, families, that it's a place that they need at that time to get settled, get mm-hmm. their stuff together, uh, get their children nurtured, and then to move on. Right. Right? The difference I see in terms of <clears throat> the long-term challenges are, because you, you nothing is void of economic and, and, and social conditions. Right. Right? If you're in a setting in which... Um, continually you're economically marginalized. So you don't have the opportunities 
to to move uh, and I guess advance in a series of positions, get the education, get the certification, get the opportunity. Um, yeah, that's going to be really a lot more challenging for you to move to a space in which economically you feel that you you have any sense of power, right? Right. And those conditions existed before you were there. So in, in instead of like you know a, a lot of a lot of the the, the, the media discourse really um, while they you know, praise anyone that's like, oh, okay, so-and-so got a degree and now they're, they're here and blah, 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 blah. They don't look at the larger data and stats, right? Right. That your social environment, a poverty, living in poverty, not the poverty of, because um, Lawrence Heights is very rich and areas like Lawrence Heights, I grew up in what was, Ontario housing that became metro housing that became Toronto community housing, right? right? For a number of years until it was like maybe what, uh, uh, junior high, right? Mm-hmm. Starting junior high. And then moving into low rent housing. So it wasn't like, oh, okay, you know, what is this, the Jeffersons, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't that story. <laughs> so, but in those communities, there was a wealth of what? Social capital. And there's been studies that have been done on neighborhoods that are low income, but high in terms of social capital. What do you mean by social capital? There's lots of social networks within that community to help the people to actually, people helping people to actually deal with a lot of the stressors that are there, right? Not enough, but a lot, right? right. There's a sense of community and ownership that sometimes hits a wall because you don't have access to you know, the same type of opportunities that you would if you owned your home and they were part of a neighborhood association. And then, you know, not that that's the be all and end all because there's challenges there too, but it's a, a greater sense of agency. I've seen like a heck of a lot of leadership and abilities from people who are in the most marginalized situations. Yep. Don't discount that, but you look at the overall society and structures and the reason we have underdeveloped neighborhoods is historic in terms of how neighborhoods were constructed, not necessarily for the people that have been living there for the last 30 years. Right. Right. We've constructed some areas of the city um, historically, and I'm going back from like the forties, fifties and sixties to where everybody was expected to have a car and drive around. Mm. You know, they weren't looking at like, you know, uh, what if we have a massive influx of immigration uh, from the Caribbean, from Asia, you know, uh, from continental Africa? Um, What about that? What are the needs in terms of an educational system? What are needs in terms of commerce? What are the needs in terms of, you know, health, you know, medical systems? I've met a whole bunch of doctors that are either working in or over-educated and underpaid because their medical degrees mean nothing mm. as they've come to Canada. Right. If, if you are coming to Canada from across the world, you have to have agency, right? Yeah. 
you have to have leadership ability. And the reason you leave is usually because things are not that great. It's not right. like, you know, <laughs> so we have to really dispel the, the and, then, and I'm not talking about just refugees. I talk about immigration because, um, you know, people are leaving the place that for centuries, for eons, they have lived because it's not tenable, it's not safe for them to be there. It doesn't mean that they don't have skills and abilities, but we have to question, question mark, is our system ready and capable to actually support their genius? And that's the biggest thing that I find that because I got a I got a chance to work with a lot of engineers um, mm-hmm. that were coming from both Nigeria, South Asia and a lot of different places. But again, they come here and they're, you know, they have to um, settle for part time work or work that's really. It's not it's not beneath them. It's just not what they should be doing. They have way more impactful skill sets. Yeah. That's beneficial yep. to our economy, but we don't, for some reason, tap into it. Exactly. And and I, I think that we could do so much better in terms of in industries recognizing yes. The, yes. the and that is again, it's not just social, it's economic, yes. it's also political, yes. it's also psychological, because yeah. let's let's just name it. If we're, if, if we're dealing with patriarchy, white supremacy, uh, economic, social oppression, those ideas have been there. They didn't just happen right. because, you know, like the mid seventies or even into the eighties, the, the, the largest group to immigrate into Canada was from the United States. Wow. So, and the, and the UK is the largest group. I didn't realize that. You didn't hear about immigrant this, immigrant that in the same way that you did in terms of the discourse until that started to shift. Mm. It shifts over to Asia, it shifts to uh, the Caribbean, it, it shifts to uh, continental Africa. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So let's just take a look at that. Like, I, like, I'm in a sociology class in the you know late 80s, and I'm hearing like the largest number of people that are coming are coming from the United States and coming from the UK. Well, I, I wonder what they look like. Right. Predominantly. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're speaking English. Their systems are aligned. Right. And they have that privilege, the Anglo privilege, whether you are brown Anglo, um, whether most likely you're white Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, you know, yeah. or whatever other group you're, presenting as European or of European heritage. And it was easier in our systems because you're dealing with the familiar. Yes. Yes. But when it shifts and the majority comes from the rest of the majority of the world. Yeah. Right. The language changes. Then, Yeah. And, and historically we've had immigration systems like this again, We've had all types of taxes and all types of limitations on people that are coming from outside of Europe and the United States, right? Mm-hmm. We've had systematic, how should you say, not, not putting up, we don't need to put up a wall when we have got policies. And what happened? Well, they shift the policy. 
right? Right. This was back. This wasn't like 200 years ago. This was about 40 years ago. Wow. Like 50 years ago, 60 years ago, right? And and so when you look at that, you say, okay, we've had some very racist, very um, xenophobic policies because, as noted in your history books, some of our prime ministers have stepped up in parliament historically and said, we got to keep Canada white. Yeah. Right? The same ones that we're saying, you know, um, want to kill the Indian in the child. Right. Right? And so we have to deal with that because that isn't our past. That's our present. Right. History to me isn't about, you're never going to hear me say, oh, it's 2021. No, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, it takes a few thousand years for the human brain <laughs> to, yeah. to shift a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but these things that uh, the, the social conditions, the policies, the behaviors that we're, we're seeing right now are the exact same behaviors that we had 40, 50, 60 uh, years ago. The language has changed, the nuances has changed. But when you call certain people old talk Canadians, new stock Canadians, you're saying, I see you differently. Right. Right. Instead of saying, okay, we are all different, but we're not on a hierarchy because we all have skills and abilities to give. Every community has strengths. Every community has weaknesses. And you look at growing from position of strength, the facet-based community development. So, so John, okay. So you're talking about the community. I'm, I'm curious, your passion to continue to do this work. There's a lot of trauma, vicarious trauma that comes with this work. How have you been able to maintain your interest and passion? And don't tell me it's just a dollar. Oh, no. <laughs> so how have you been able to maintain that, um, you know, that passion to continue to do it and develop so many other leaders or people that are responsible and care about the community? Um, so I, I think that I, I'm not centered like as much as like in the, um, having a good conversation here and I'm, I'm actually, you know, in speaking of privilege, I got to name my privileges because, you know, I have met some amazing people like yourself. Thank you. And, and, and I, you know, and, and here are your flowers as they say, <laughs> because, um, your individual, your collective, um, energies have enhanced my life, right? Um, I wouldn't be, and when I say be, I don't mean by be at the top of anything. Right. I wouldn't be in terms of centered the way I am if I didn't have the experience like I did in Lawrence Heights. Right. Here's the first thing that I recognize in Lawrence Heights is that um, you, and I said this a little bit before, but your position, your education level, all that stuff means nothing. Right. It's your social capital. That's it. Who knows you and who do you know and who will vouch for you? Mm -hmm. Right. So that begins me to get decentered away from saying, oh, I'm a, a, a rec programmer or I'm a rec two or whatever. Right. And I could close down this facility and get punched in the face. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> that's a because, fact. <laughs> you know, that, that's a fact. Or, you know, my tires might, you know, have a, a leak in my tire. Right. Uh, you know, 
or or or, or might get uh, have a battery thrown through my window or right. something. something. <laughs> welcome to the neighborhood, right? But, you know, but that welcome is telling you that there is a system in the neighborhood, and you need to understand the system in that neighborhood, right? Regardless of whether you think it's dysfunctional, you need to understand it. So first, uh, social capital matters. Second. After having we 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 updated the office space, and <laughs> <laughs> about a, not even a week, two chairs, yeah. you know, two <laughs> chairs are missing, valued probably six hundred bucks. Um, the phones that are modular phones that can't work anywhere else, phones are gone. You know what I mean? Um, and I recognize that this it really isn't my office. I don't own this office, right? So I don't own the office. I'm a representative of the city. I'm decentering, right? Mm-hmm. Up till today, like I don't really have a lot of like you know you walk into somebody's office and it's like all the pictures from whatever right. and right. and great great to have your family in front of you in your pictures, but I have none of that, right? Because I hold everything in my head, yeah, right, and I'm centered in. I'm not centered in that space in the control that mm-hmm. arrived. Mm-hmm. I'm centered in that space in terms of negotiating. And so I know that I'm working for a large institution, but I am not that institution. Right. Mm-hmm. So in that decentering, you also have to look at, and this is a question I ask people all the time, right? May have asked you that before. Like, yeah. um, what do you do that's creative? And obviously you're doing outside <laughs> of your regular work yeah. that you have agency over, right? Yeah. Because if you're not being creative outside, and it doesn't mean that you're like, you know, you're building 10 businesses or whatever, but it means that whatever you're doing, whether it's needlepoint and um, I am still a house head for all of those who are listening know what that means. Uh, so, <laughs> You know, music and movement is still a part of my life. Yeah. Um, I just went on a great bike ride today with my son. I'm trying to, you know, do that a lot more regular because that brings you back to your youth, like yeah. youth, youth, when you're like nine years old yeah. and, and or six or whenever you first learn to ride a bike, that brings you back. That's part of the decentering. Yeah. Turning off your phone when you're not working is decentering. I'm decentering by stepping away from all of those connections electronically and mentally to a position and recentering to myself because this position is a small part of my whole. Right. 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 I learned that the hard way. <laughs> right. I burnt out without knowing I'm burnt out. Yes. Yeah. Traumatized many times by situation without, you know, recognizing it was trauma. Right. That trauma has created sensitivities that I will never, um, never lose. Mm-hmm. When I go into a space, I want to know where the exits are. Right. That's just based on a number of experiences yep. that you need to keep yourself safe yep. and understand where harm may be coming from. Right. That's, that's that will always stay with me. That's very interesting and very powerful at the same time because I find that I do the exact same thing. And I don't know if I can just attribute it to the neighborhood. I have to say I have to because 
that's where those things were developed, right? Like yeah. I, oh. I remember. So, so to me, it's not just a neighborhood. It's because where I found myself in other spaces in the city. Right. That, you know, now there are condos there, but before there was like, you know, uh, right. a factory building in which was turned into an all night right or whatever exactly and and then you know and so it's the same type of environment where you say it's a very niche and small mm-hmm. group of people but some of those people yeah you know some of those people are lawyers and some of those people are are are, are not lawyers right right <laughs> have alternative <laughs> economic you know means yeah. and, and and both of them are uh could be volatile that's you right. know what i'm saying that's right that's so, right. and and I don't think it's just fight or fight or flight. I think actually think that it's um you have a sense of self preservation, but you learn like I think we need more investment in uh, young people about understanding their communities, right? Uh, not just from a safety standpoint, but also from like uh, the strength standpoint. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that has to be now a learning. Because that a lot of the socialization has been limited. Yeah, like people go into programs yeah. rather than just going outside. Because because my mother's standard was doesn't matter uh, how late you stay outside as long as you come home. So right. you're like, okay, gotta go photo party, go to a friend's house afterwards, and then it's like, okay, but when I'm walking, I'm walking on this. Le- not walking. I'm trotting on this level of. I will see everything around me, right? Right. And I will be in an open space wherever. Yep. And just had to learn that as a way of moving rather than it's like head down. You never walk with your head down. Nope. Now, we're at the, we're very close to the end of the episode here, but I have a few critical questions that I want to ask you. Before I get to those, I have that segment, which I love, and it's called Thinking Out Loud. I'm going to ask you the most random question and I want you to be on the ball without overthinking it and give me your quickest response to the question. All right. Are you ready? (laughs) Would you rather have to be naked at work for an hour (laughs) or be dropped off two miles from your house while you're naked and you have to try and get home? Okay, say that one more time. <laughs> Would you rather be naked at work, be naked at work for an hour, mm-hmm. or be dropped off two miles away from home and you're naked? Oh, at work. <laughs> <laughs> Not even a thought, babe. <laughs> Okay, now you have to explain this. <laughs> okay, so in 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 my office right now, yeah, right. I mean, even even, and we haven't we haven't touched on COVID, but I, I will say, um, it's real. Mm-hmm. So many people are dispelling the realness, mm-hmm. and uh, I think you know for whatever reason you have that it's not real, it's real. And so please, 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 and, um, you know, be informed, get educated, make an informed decision based on the real uh, information that's out there, because the people that are most impacted are brown people. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Brown and black people are most impacted. Working class brown and black people most impacted. And, you know, I got my two doses. I feel much better because it lowers the chances of being me in the hospital because there's three places that uh, I, I think from my perspective, I feel powerless. That's at the border. Yep. That's in the hospital. <laughs> yep. And that's in the court system. <laughs> so, so I'm not going over the border because I'm not, I'm not going anywhere for another two years. Well then, why do you want to be naked at work? <laughs> yeah. So regarding the naked at work. So um, I've got an office mm-hmm. that is pretty well self-enclosed, right? Oh. So, I mean, if I'm naked at work, I'd be there for three hours. <laughs> you know, people will knock on the door. And, and, and if I had to, because we have, we do have, you know, T-shirts oh and gosh. stuff. If I had to take one, I put on a T-shirt and I fashioned the, the other T-shirt into some, 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 not, some, uh, some diapers or whatever and do what I need to do. Oh my gosh. Was, you know so if it was about like some kind of like you know those movies where it's like you have one hour right right, you know, right. and you just boom show up and you're naked I'll be in my office if I'm two miles away like, you gotta be outside then and then you get arrested for indecent exposure then you end up in the court system, which you don't exactly. feel protected. Then you end up, you end up in the court system or mental health, which is also form of the, you know, a hospital. And oh, you know, if you get committed, then you're not getting out because you said, you know what? It was just a joke. Wait. So I'll stay in my office, close the door, and they'll say, John, can we talk to you? Oh, give me a call. <laughs> Oh man, thank you for that. That's it. No way. <laughs> Even when my office at City Hall, I would still just stay there. Oh Cause, man. Because at least at work, you could, like, if anything, you just, people will think that you basically just flipped out. Like, you're like, you're having an episode, and then you would get support. Either way, you would get support. Somebody would have to say, yo, you want me to get you some clothes? <laughs> yes, that would help. I think you should go home now. Oh, that's that's good. That's good. That's a really good one. I like that. <laughs> so <clears throat> thank you for that. Now No worries. That was an easy one. <laughs> Clearly. Have to think. Like you thought about it before or something. <laughs> I have it all planned out actually. <laughs> I might even have an extra pair of shorts. I used to have, I, I used to have like a jacket at City Hall. Actually, I do have a jacket in my office because when you have to either go into council or or or, or whatever, mm. then and and you don't have you're wearing a t-shirt because our environment is very very yeah. um, loose, driven, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and you know it's funny because I would meet directors and be like. Um, see them on an elevator in City Hall. It's like, oh, John, you're going out to the community again. Eh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> I'm wearing my jeans. And granted, when I got the position, I walked in, I went to like uh, Tip Top, got some of those dungarees, you know, oh, wow. business casual. Yeah. Went upstairs uh, and, and saw the director at the time. 
and he's wearing like a black t-shirt and jeans. I'm like, what? So <laughs> anyway, so I go. like to be comfortable and comfort allows you to think flexibly, you know? Yeah. To, yeah. You know? So. Now, <laughs> so I want to go back and kind of round things off for folks listening. What is the main focus of your department or your role? So, you know, um, the, the, the division that I work in, and I mentioned it, social development, finance administration is a division of the city. It's one of uh, 40 plus city divisions. Mm. But it's a very unique division, very small. We're not service oriented, we're policy oriented. And oh. we focus on equity. And so we work with, as I mentioned, um, you know, uh, the Indigenous Affairs Office. We work with Equal Equity and Human Rights Office agencies, whether Toronto Community Housing is a city agency, uh, Toronto Public Library is a city agency, other city divisions. In my specific work, um, if you've heard of Priority Neighborhoods and you've heard of Neighborhood Improvement Areas, that's the new name for since 2014. Um, It's working in in specific neighborhoods that um, are historically underserved, right? Right. And and this is where, you know, the experience of like, you know, having uh, the privilege of working with like community leaders who I must say are the majority women of color, mm-hmm. um, black women and other women of color with community, not only international experience, not only like I would say in terms of their understanding of the world, doctorate level understanding of the world just from their experiences alone, but also combine education and everything and just being in the community. And they are the knowledge keepers of their communities. And um, we can't do enough to say that, uh, to talk about that leadership. They not only need their flowers, they need the bouquets, Right. They need, you know, I mean, it's a combination of different people. Uh, there is a majority that I've recognized that mm-hmm. have schooled me and, and continue to educate me on what's happening in community. When somebody says what's happening in, in this or that community uh, or what's in my understanding, it's like, I know nothing because I'm informed by the people who have the lived experience. There. Right. 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 I have stats and data and blah, 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 and all that stuff. But it's a community narrative that's more important. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, again, a privilege of working through COVID on what's now called the community coordination plan, which we had to put we had to put aside our community engagement work and work on uh, coordinating uh, around services, around uh, resources for the more most vulnerable people across the city in a lot of the Similar communities, okay, uh, neighborhood improvement areas, but in other areas, and it's in partnership with the United Way. We have over 400 organizations that are uh, participating on this approach that's mm-hmm. been in effect since March 2020. Oh wow! So, and we continue to learn through our partnerships with these organizations, and we're also supporting resident engagement around, you know, uh, vaccination. Because as I said, and I have to reinforce, like it is uh, uh, very necessary that um, uh, more information, more opportunities, whether it's mobile clinics, we work with public health, we work with Ontario health teams, 
Um, we work with uh, nonprofits within these communities that are directly connecting. They are doing the work. We have the privilege of helping to organize and support the organization of how they support families um, from food access to all these other types of stuff that's needed throughout uh, this. Uh, let's hope it's a one in 100 year pandemic because if we're going to make it that, we actually need so much more in terms of like the, the, the understanding that the impacts are real, right? And I've spoken to people who have had COVID and it's horrendous. Yeah. Horrendous. Yeah. You don't want to be there. Yeah. Part of the solution is overall health. And I you want your immune system stronger, but it also involves vaccination. And I'm not the one to be running towards that first. Right. But I recognize that this stuff is different. Yeah. Everything else. And the more you look at the the facts that are there, um, not the you know, hysteria. Yeah. yeah. And um I've even learned more about um the, the history of advocacy um, that happened in the U.S., just as we understand Tuskegee experiment, there is advocacy by African-Americans uh, community uh, in the States to advocate to get the polio vaccine because they weren't giving it to African-Americans. They're only giving it to, you know, the white communities when polio was happening almost like a hundred, more than a hundred years ago. Right. Wow. So, it, it's like you got to look at the whole picture. Yeah. Like, and, and to boot, you know, um, with over probably over 300 million people already vaccinated. Yeah. It's the first world that actually has, like, you know, and I don't agree with that. You know, there's countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't agree with that stratification. But yeah. if you want to use that language, yeah. then it's the more developing Western world that has more access to the vaccine than right. the rest of the world. Right. A lot of the work has been centered on the response, emergency response to uh, uh, COVID-19 and the impacts, health impacts, well-being, quality of life impacts on um, um, people that face multiple challenges even before COVID-19. And as I say, we've got a long way to go. Wow. This isn't about like, you know, last year I was like, 2021. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We're more than halfway through. Right. So if we look historically, it's, you know, at least two to three years um, based on, uh, and probably more based on, you know, other other factors. But because uh, the, the, the whole variant stuff, that's another level. Yeah. That's just another level. Only variant I want to really be concerned about is, the you know, the Loki series. You know, from Marvel, <laughs> but reality says that these the, the the variants that will come from the fact that in the more developing world, you know, and the majority of the world is not getting an equitable access to the vaccine, right? Right, and and like anything in nature, um, when it's put out there, it will develop on its own, right? Right. right. That's not the word for it, but know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's that's been the work, and that's why I think it's really important um, in terms of me getting on a call with you, you know, 
um, somebody I, I, I fully respect your your art and your science and, and the way that you put it together in, in these interviews to say that it's crucial that communities are supported to come together and to realize the, the strengths that are within, uh, especially those communities that have uh, been challenged uh, for, uh, historically by all different types of oppressive structures, right, and policies. Uh, and change is not just like everybody getting a mountaintop and no. flowers and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Change is, needs to be continual and is sometimes really messy. Yeah, it's work. Right? It's work. Yeah, it's work. It has to be work. You also said, you know, how do you, how do you deal with, um, you know, being in this system? I think, yeah. you know, I think part of it is um, understanding that the more that I can tell my story yes. and also uh, bring some understanding and be a part of building that internally and externally, the better off, you know, others are in understanding that there can be change. It can be, you know, uh, there can be opportunity and systems are not just this amorphous tower. Systems are made up from the bottom up. You know, uh, implicit bias. Add on that other forms of internalized and externalized oppression. Then you can see how things were developed not for the people that are actually in these spaces right now, but developed on ideas that existed that were kind of out of date. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and 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 filled with bias, right? Filled with negative bias. Yeah. So, um, and all systems function that way. If you're in a school board, you have it's an actual board. Yeah. And you have your trustees. Yeah. Right? That's a school board. Yeah. Right? TTC, you know, yep. is a commission. You got boards. You know? So who who's on the commission? That's right. a board. Right. Right. And and that should be like fundamental, you know, civic one oh one um classes. I you know, in my utopian world, those classes would start in in JK. Just like how to sit in a circle and talk to each other. I mean, it, it's it, well, it's true. It's it's it should start as early as that. I mean, that would be ideal. And that would be great. But like you said, these are systems, and it's not accidental that they're the way they are structured. And so, I think it's just a matter of you've been stressing it all night. Education, um, being informed, uh, but it has to begin with the individual. Like I think the individual has to want to learn more or better themselves as far as being informed. If that individual does not make that decision, it doesn't matter what resources are thrown at them, really. Um, it can only go so far. But yes, the environment does have an impact on on that individual as far as being able to make that decision or being equipped to have the ability to make that decision. Um, but there's so many different components. I think the more we talk about it, the more it kind of you kind of realize how complex, yet in some ways simple it can be. Yeah, yeah. I love the farming analogy because it's like, you know, and and I have to say that a function, I, I realized like, uh, I think it was last year, I was taking a walk and my uh, daughter and recognized that I didn't know, I don't know anything about trees. I know maple leaf, but right. I have no idea. But 
I can tell you, you know, which cars are parked in every parking lot. Right. You know, from your BMW to your Tesla, to your yep. Toyota, yep. whatever. Yep. And it just tells you there's a socialization that happens, um, you know, in, in, you know, for primarily men in sports, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. males in sports, same type of thing. You, yeah. you look at the different symbols for different teams and you can tell, okay, which team, which league, whatever, whatever. Exactly. Right. But can you actually, do we have the same socialization to the natural world? We don't. You don't. Yeah. Right. And that kind of tells you, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of reinforcing different levels of industrialization, different levels of uh, uh, corporatization and consumerism, right? Yeah. And those aren't just big words. Those are like functional things. Yeah. But get get people to spend their money, money. on things <laughs> that don't matter. Yeah. And, you know, make them feel like they're useless unless they got that brand of shirt. Exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. or 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 or, or uh, what is it? Shampoo. Right. Right. And I really believe that, like, you know, in expanding your world, you need to actually and I'm not I'm not like, you know, your your nature buff, but I know the importance of trees. Yeah. And if trees are important, how come we don't really know? I don't know. Like five different types of trees. Right. In 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 my walk, when I walk outside, how come I can't tell this tree from that? Only one I could tell is the maple leaf. Right. Because on the flag That's and it. the losing and the losing team. That's but, it. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's, that, that's a corporate sports jab. But, you know, if we actually, there's like, I'm sure there's 10 different types of ants. Uh, there's seven different types of spiders that are in your house. Yep. You know, yep. and not to mention the centipedes and whatever. Right. And it's like, that is part of the natural world. We had a woodpecker, like, pecking on the side of the house. Wow. I don't even know why a woodpecker would peck on a house, <laughs> you know, but it keeps coming back. Yeah. But that's a type of bird, right? So when you look at that in terms of your natural world and the fact that you can't just call on, you know, I saw a hawk today. Okay, great. I know what a woodpecker is, but there's like probably a hundred different types of birds, right? Yeah. Like that's a whole different area of understanding the natural world that existed way in before. Yeah. And I do have to say that um, recently I saw a video about, you know, our streets in the West end of Toronto, some of our main streets in the West end of Toronto are built off of the pathways that indigenous peoples were walking. Wow. Two, three, 400 years ago. Right. That is mind blowing. Wow. Right? That they they walk through these pathways so much that they led to and I think it's like uh um Saint Clair, Western Road, um, parts of Davenport. And like again, did we learn that in school? No, no. No, we did not. So not. what is our orientation to indigenous people? If we didn't have any foundation other than we didn't even learn in, uh, uh, residential schools in school, right? So, yeah. what is our understanding as to their contribution when we don't even know that our roadways are fashioned off of the pathways that they walk? It's funny. 
I couldn't, I can't remember the name of the, the speaker, but I heard someone, uh, I think it was a week ago, and they had a really, really interesting um, statement that they made. They said, if your entire foundation is based on a source, and you know, most of the time we have multiple sources, so it could be your teachers, your parents, and, and so forth. But if your foundation is based on all these different sources, and none of them are even informed of where they got their information from, then your entire foundation mm-hmm. is kind of flawed. Yep. So you, you, right? So, and it goes back to what you're talking about, that we need to start doing a lot of this unlearning and relearning on our own because the systems in place aren't doing what we hope for them to do. Critical thinking, y'all. Right. Because, you know, I mean, if you ask a question, you should be prepared to not just go on Wikipedia, right. but to actually right. Do some dig into yeah. the source and dig out. I, I corrected myself the other day with my daughter, uh, you know, about the word cops. Mm-hmm. You know, cops are, are, and there's two definitions of cops, uh, but old English word that either means take or cops coming from the copper um, um, buttons that the police wore, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, there's, there's an origin to a lot of these things that are words and concepts that we're, we're not really looking at, right? Right. And even if you look at, you know, the whole police systems in, in the U.S., they talk about how, you know, uh, slavery influenced uh, police forces because you had slave catchers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and those became sort of like, in, and a lot of their enforcement is about property, you know, and about marg- continuing marginalizing, you know, African-American, indigenous people, other folk through that, because they're ones that most likely haven't historically owned property. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. Um, there's a whole history in terms of if, if uh, and, and, and a revisit of history. Uh, Howard Zinn is one of the writers that has, you know, done like a reconstruction of history through working people, right? Because there's a huge history of labor that we do not talk about in this society other than Labor Day, Right. right? Right, and and the rest of the world has uh, an under much better understanding of the contribution of labor to how we got our society. Yeah, me and you would not have a thirty-five or forty-hour work week without blood being spilt by labor unions um, eighty years ago, forty years ago. Right, you know, I mean, and and continually looking at how society has been improved by that. Even the fact that, you know, there are labor organizations that kept, you know, got children (laughs) into schools (laughs) because they would be, and and I find it fascinating that we we take a lot of this stuff for granted and it's not embedded in our education system. So I think you're totally correct. If, If the sources that you are looking at are all flawed, then you have a very flawed and skewed yep. uh, look at or, or understanding of the world. Yep. And, um, you know, we have to have not only education, but also the discourse yep. and, and have that conversation with our children at any age, right. not just at a age. Yeah. It's like a continual thing. I just yeah. talked to my daughter about, 
seven years old about Emancipation Day and how that came about. And that will be a converse, ongoing conversation because it's Emancipation Month. Right. And we don't, we're not just from, if you're from the Caribbean, you're not just jumping up on a street and Lakeshore or whatever, pre-COVID. Right. You know, <laughs> um, you know, because you, you know, want want to, you know, get on bad and 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 grind up and wind up. You're dancing because part of the African experience is through liberation, is through music, is through chanting, is through demonstrations, right? Is through political organizing. Yeah. And if nobody tells you that, it's just like, oh, let's go down there, right. watch those people. That's uh, it. And, and it just comes devoid of what it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'll leave you with this one. Podcasts are like the new radio, right? Yep. So radio shows historically where it was one way that, you know, working people, people of color actually got informed as to the social and political focus and, you know, references of the day. Mm-hmm. And then as they become more and more corporatized, you have these large companies that buy up the radio station. Right. What do you have? You have the automated, you know, music tracks and whatever. Programming, right? yep. Yeah. So you move from, and, you know, keep in mind, Toronto only has, I think, one community radio station left. Yep. Right? Um, and they were centered in the universities. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that ultimately they became sheltered in universities. Yeah. Now you have podcasts and, you know, I listen to a lot of different podcasts. We have the opportunity to actually expand on the political discourse. Yes. I know there's a lot in the majority of the talk is about, you know, which whatever music entertainer, right, blah, blah, right, blah, right. what to who. But you can also find some very critical, interesting, you know, discussions about mm-hmm. the world by people who will give you not only their lived experience, but also a little more um, opening that door, back to opening the door again, to where that knowledge is kept, right? Yes. I used to listen to hip-hop when I first came out because there were references in the music that I didn't understand. Right. And so I would go look at the references. Mm -hmm. You know, who's who's, uh, Louis Latimer, right? right? Right. My first exposure to black inventors. What? They're black inventors? Yeah. And then I go to the third world <laughs> bookstore and it's like all this black stuff is like, wait a second. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we got authors? What? <laughs> I yeah. literally bought a book called Things They Didn't Teach You in High School. Wow. I got to look that up now. <laughs> it's out there. So, awesome. you know. So, so, so again, coming back to community is community at the community level has always been the space for, you know, um, social political discourse. It's up to the rest of us to actually be able to, and the rest of us being either businesses or uh, uh, um, civic institutions to be able to understand that level of discourse. Because that's the most important level of discourse is what people are talking about in community. Right. Man. Listen, what's the best way for people to pick your brain if they can? I'm not sure if you're available like that. Um, Are you on social media? Can they kind of 
you know, not fact check you, but just to reach out and say, hey, what are your thoughts on this and, and so forth, just to pick your brain. Is there any way for people to reach you? Um, do you want to be reached? <laughs> That's a better question. <laughs> no, I would like to remain anonymous. <laughs> My name is John Smith for a reason. <laughs> right. No, um, so professionally LinkedIn. That's that but that's it. I, I I'm um how should you say? Um, no disrespect to, you know, Instagram, Twitter and all those things, but I, I'm not there. I'm there on a professional level in terms of LinkedIn. Right. I get I get connection all the time. Uh, and please be patient. Um, because you know, again that's I, I, I'd love to um, I, I'm an open book for anybody who has the time to schedule a time to actually have a discussion mm-hmm. or, or just ask me a few questions, you know, what do you, what do you call them? The information, uh, meeting or interview or something like that. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, I'm, and, 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 and that's the primary, uh, tool that I use. Perfect. Uh, that's, that's, that's linked. Perfect. Right? LinkedIn. And I got no, no, no compensation for any of that. It's just there. Yeah. It's interesting enough. I have to say that a few years ago, I kept like maybe six, six, seven years ago, I kept getting these invitations to my email. Like, what is LinkedIn stuff? And then I said, <laughs> okay, let me try this. I know, you know, I and guess that, and that was my work, yeah. you know, is through networking. Nice. Right. Yeah. And I'm nowhere near some of my uh, colleagues, yeah. um, but I think networking is really important. You need to you need to identify about twenty to fifty, you know, decision makers within your larger, you know, uh, professional network. Yeah, that gives you insights as to what's happening and what's coming. It's right. Spe- speak. Speaking yeah. of networking, I think I'm definitely going to reach out to you. Um, after the show uh, to see if you can connect me with a few people that you might know um, that I can get on the show as well. So I'll definitely, oh, definitely. put that out yeah. there as well. Um, but I already got a list in my head already. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so we'll talk about that another time and I'll make sure I get that list off of you. Uh, thank you again, Mr. Smith. I really appreciate it. And as always, you're always uh, bring the wisdom and the knowledge and the information that I think everyone benefits from um i definitely enjoy the conversations and i'm hoping that everybody else that tunes in um you know can actually appreciate the information that you shared because i think it's very critical and we've been talking about critical thinking um in so many different ways so i'm hoping that everybody benefits the way i benefit from it but um again thank you for blessing the show and until next time folks love peace and nappiness